You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. Back to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, hold the pickles, hold the lettuce, special orders, don't upset him. <laughs> it's Mr. Jeff McLargehudes. King, King Jeff McLargehudes. Look, I like to think of myself as Big McLargehudes, <laughs> so I'm less special orders, don't upset us, and more to all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, on a sesame seed bun, for those of you who are keeping track. Well, that's a good lead-in, Bill, because just uh, today I was reading a, a slightly older news article, which is titled, Every Hot Dog You Eat Takes 36 Minutes Off Your Life. What? That's what I, I I wanted to let you know because apparently I've been dead for five years and didn't know it yet. Uh, I've oh my God. I've eaten my I've eaten myself to death on on hot dogs. Um, it, just in the course of my life until the point. I mean, I must have offset some by becoming a vegetarian, but not enough. Clearly, <laughs> I did the math. Right. Well, I mean, you did die twice already. I so. did. I did, but I didn't stay it's dead. Those hot dogs. It must be the pre- <laughs> preservatives in them. It's all the nitrates since I'm still walking around as processed meat. <laughs> You pickled yourself is what happened. Now, whenever I get hot dogs, I usually get three at a go. I get three cheese dogs, and that's like that's like an hour and a half. That's an hour and a half every time. Yeah, whenever you watch a bad movie, you're like, oh, that's an hour and a half. I'll never get back. Right. Well, I could say the same thing about your lunch, can't I? Right, and, and if you eat hot dogs at the same time you watch a bad movie, not only will you never get them back, but you can count them. You can count them going. They go with each chew. <laughs> every bite It'll brings be- you closer to the Grim Reaper, Bill. It's just a big, like pocket of time that you like like those people that get abducted that's foreshadowing (laughs) those people that get abducted they're like and i have five hours of my life that i don't remember it's completely yeah well did you have hot dogs that day i i actually gave myself missing time it happened with a substance called fernet branca i don't know if you've ever had that i've heard a comedy routine about it yep well if you drink Uh, enough of it it's like you wake up out in the yard with your pants on inside out you don't know how you got there (laughs) seven hours later it's very herby and like black licorice and apparently it turns off the recording device in your brain for a few hours well, what, at a time. Whatever you did, you deserve it for drinking it. The funny story yeah. was like I had a friend here and we were both were sort of drinking it and watching movies and I woke up like seven hours later. I don't remember anything. <laughs> and then I, there was a note pinned to my shirt that said, I borrowed some DVDs. <laughs> that was, <laughs> and that was that. So. Uh. So this going to be like some sort of equation you could do like hot dogs. Okay. They take off 36 minutes off your life. That's fine. But like, suppose you like you, you went vegetarian. You must, right. must get some time back. There's going to be like a bro, you know, two broccoli equals one you know, bean burrito. <laughs> right. Or whatever. Yeah. Something like that. And, and again, I didn't read the whole study. I just read the news article about it, but actually what it says is this study is based on a calculation of like carbon footprint and how that impacts the human quality of life. And then it talks about like mortality rates in regional terms. So it's not like they gave two people, like one person just ate peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and one person just ate hot dogs. And then they wanted to see which one died first, Um, which is the kind of study I can get behind, I I guess, as long as I'm not the hot dog guy. Do I have to pay for these hot dogs? (laughs) Exactly. exactly. I can eat a lot of hot dogs. I want you to know this. Like, do we have an unlimited budget? And I'm going to need some sauerkraut and onions. But basically what it says is like, you know, for all the bad that hot dogs do, there are other foods like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches that can add hours to your life. So a peanut butter and jelly sandwich adds an hour. That's like two hot dogs. I'm immortal. So my God, uh, I love peanut butter and jelly, dude. I, I, I have two peanut butter and jelly English muffins for breakfast just about every morning. Yeah, there you go. So see, you'll probably live to be 200. Yeah, could be Me, a- on the other hand, I don't even eat breakfast because I'm intermittent fasting. I'm probably going to be I'm probably already dead. Greetings from the afterlife, everyone. All right, so speaking of living forever, this has nothing to do with my award-winning and always well-received trivia question, but my trivia question does have to do with birthdays. 
What is the most popular birthday of the year and what is the least popular? So if you meet somebody and you guess their birthday, you're most likely to be right if you guess this and least likely to be right if you guess that. So I'm going to say Monday. Is no, the least no, of the year, ding dong. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> so the date, birth date. Yes. Oh, all right. That's going to take a little bit more thinking. So uh, I guess at the end of the show. <laughs> Nobody ever goes, happy birth date to you. <laughs> that's true. They don't. <laughs> So this is the week beginning, November the 1st, and it is your turn to start. I am almost positive. I'm pretty sure, too. Let me check my notes. Yes, it's me. November 1st, 1939, the first animal conceived by artificial insemination is displayed. And, ironically enough, (laughs) the first animal conceived by artificial insemination is world-renowned for not needing to be artificially inseminated. It is a rabbit. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> it's like the one thing they do well, and you're right. going to take that away from them? Yep. There's yeah, a, I, a huge hole in the job market for rabbits now. Right. I, I'm sure that the bunny was like, hey, what are you doing with that turkey baster back there? But yes, the first animal conceived by artificial insemination is a rabbit. As <laughs> if we need to artificially inseminate rabbits to make them have babies. I mean, the rabbits were already had a, had a big you know hole in the job market when they came out with the home pregnancy tests. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yes. And eventually it'll be like an all test tube rabbit production of like Watership Down available on Netflix <laughs> or something. That's such an obscure, like, you don't hear that cliche anymore. Whenever somebody was pregnant, they used to say, the rabbit died. You ever hear all I'm going to say is that the scientist was probably haunted by the ghost of Fibonacci for all time <laughs> after that. But do you do you know that, that cliche? Have you ever heard that, the rabbit died? No, I've never heard that. For That's... someone being pregnant? Um, an old, old way, I mean, before you pissed on a popsicle stick for, to, to check if a woman was pregnant. Oh, I just do that for as a hobby. <laughs> uh, I, I guess they would uh, test the woman's blood up against the ovaries of rabbit. And you could tell the change if the woman was pregnant that way. I think that's the way it worked. It seems like a hard pregnancy test to buy at the drugstore, Bill. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> First, you have to I, go th- I thought this came in a box. <laughs> Just hold it by its ears. Do you have a cage for this? A cage? Do not feed the pregnancy test carrots. That was the old saying of the, saying the rabbit died, meaning if the rabbit dies, uh, the woman was pregnant. But the the other side of the punchline of that is you kind of have to kill the rabbit to get the ovaries out in the first well, place. That's the, yeah, that's the thing. Is like, of course the rabbit died. Like, yeah. So how are we supposed to do this? Like, Is this a positive or negative test? I'm not even sure where the ovaries are. I didn't do biology on a rabbit in high school. I'm positive I have a dead rabbit now. <laughs> Brought to you by the Pfeffer Pregnancy Test Company. All right, so they artificially inseminated a rabbit? Yep. Perverts. And it just showed that it could be done. And then... the you know, went from that rabbit to sheep and then sheep to person. And it was like right like right around what, nineteen seventy seventy two or so that the very first Let's try it on an alligator. Stamp, stamp, stamp. All right, all right, maybe not, maybe not. All right, that's cool. Nope, that's nope, cool. Nope. I, I'm not bringing that. But I mean if you think if you if you think about the way the technology advances and how rapidly it advances, like how rapidly it advances. How rapidly uh, it advances. Like uh, again, it's right now artificial insemination is almost an outpatient procedure for people who have for Fertility issues. It's so, all the rage these days. From 1939 to like 1969 or 1970, that's not a long time for that kind of scientific advance, especially with something as complicated as biology. So right. I guess it goes to show human ingenuity has no bounds. All right. So moving on to November the 2nd, before we get into the actual story, uh, our good friend, uh, friend of the show, Dan Quayle, Dan Quayle Man. pops up into the... Uh, the zeitgeist over here. Uh, November the 2nd, 1988, while campaigning for the U.S. vice presidency, our friend Dan Quayle was asked how his living arrangements would change if he got the job of vice president. And he said, well, sure would be different to live in that White House, apparently completely unaware that the vice president does not live in the White House. Look, I, I'm not somebody who defends Dan Quayle, but... I'm going to say maybe, in his mind, he thought that being vice president was like being in a sitcom and that he and his his wife would live with George Bush and his wife and it would be like bosom buddies and their bosom wives together. We're roomies. Yay. And you hear like George Bush like, oh, who forgot to put the toilet paper on the toilet paper spool again? <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's Dan Quayle. <laughs> 
All right, so moving on to the actual uh, story. On November the 2nd, 1978, Arnold Shapiro's TV documentary, Scared Straight, narrated by Peter Falk, of all people, uh, as a controversial and questionable deterrent to juvenile delinquency, uh, debuts on Los Angeles's KTLA-TV. I don't know if it was 78 that it went nationwide, but it ended up being broadcast nationwide, or it could have been the next year that it was broadcast nationwide. I remember watching it, my mom telling me, you should watch this. It was like on PBS or something, wasn't it? It was not on PBS. It was on regular TV. Okay. And it was filled with swears. Yeah, and that's right. It was completely uncensored. It was right. completely uncensored. And I wasn't even 10 years old yet. And I remember sitting there being terrified, terrified by what I was seeing. And scared straight. So, as I have never committed a crime above and beyond occasionally speeding, it must have worked. Can, yeah. can we pause here for a second? Because uh, we haven't really described what scared straight was. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> so yeah. So, scared, scared straight was this documentary, uh, and it's a really good idea, where they took a bunch of, like, juvenile delinquents that were not on a very good path in life and brought them into... A, a maximum security prison. A maximum security prison to have a little chit chat with some of the prisoners in there. And they kind of just filmed them in like this general area with no guards. And the prisoners told like scare the crap out of these guys and keep them from being like you. You know, and today we're a little bit softer. It would be more like, yeah, my name is, you know, John so-and-so and I killed somebody and I'm in prison. Don't be like me. In 1978, man, it wasn't like that at all. Oh, yeah. It was like, I killed the motherfucker with the screwdriver. I'll stab your face. Yeah. I'll kill you. I'll trade you for cigarettes. Ah! It was like, you know, oh, you think you're tough, huh? Push against the wall. You think you're tough, huh? Yep. Push against the wall again. Like, it was really rough and really, really scary. And that, at least for me as a kid, that was the first time I sort of realized that, like, adults can be really terrible people. Yeah. Given the right circumstance, because I'd never experienced that as a, as a kid. Oh, right. My parents were nice. The people that my parents knew were nice. But here's like this six foot tall, 250 pound dude with a beard who looks like the bus driver. He takes me to school every day, like hoisting up a teenager by his neck and shaking him around <laughs> like a friggin' raggedy Andy doll. Now, you know, until the kid nearly pees and pees himself. Now, there was a, a lot of subsequent like sequels to that, like Beyond Scared Straight. I remember MTV doing a few of them too. And I think there was actually a, a, a TV series, but. The TV series, I think they ended up bleeping out, but this was all uncensored. You know? Yeah, uncensored. Ooh. They were dropping F-bombs like there was a hole in the box, right? I remember one of them where the kid was you know, trying to hold his own as being tough, and he did pretty good, and the, you know, the prisoners are saying, look at you, you're just a little baby, blah, blah, blah. And the kid was trying to hold up his tough persona, but man, they broke him down by the end of the show. The end of the show, yeah. that kid was just bawling his eyes out. Are you going to go home and be nice to your mother? I don't know. I think so. You better because I'll <laughs> your ass. Well, the funny thing is, like, if you think about, like, where reality TV sort of went to, yeah. like, it, it showed even in 78 that even with the best intentions of to try and prevent juvenile delinquency, there was a voyeuristic aspect to yeah. it that people latched on to, which is why that sort of, that style of, like, insane TV, right. I guess developed into stuff like the Jerry Springer show and the real world and other things where the negative energy was the whole sort of guiding force behind what was going on on the show. You want to see people broken down. You want to see people yelled at. You want to see people like lose their cool. And you know, you're watching this and you're, you're looking at these punk kids and you're like, yeah, yeah, you're not so tough now. Huh? When you put in the real situation, you're not so tough now. And then at the same time, you're not thinking to yourself, there are no heroes in this story. <laughs> exactly. Those are not, I should not be identifying with a murderer. Yeah, those are not upstanding <laughs> citizens that you're you're identifying with. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but I, I yes, actually, uh, they do that not always televised. They don't televise every time they do that. But right. the Scared Straight program is a program that they still do in many cities across the country. And I think that is a good idea. So moving on to November the 3rd. Uh, November the 3rd, 1993, a, a millionaire's named Jane Gill is murdered in her mansion. Her business partner and a beneficiary for her life insurance policy is a guy named Gary Rasp. He's immediately arrested for her murder. But the murder victim's parrot keeps repeating, Richard, no, 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 which leads <laughs> investigators to Richard Mattoon, 
a different guy and a friend of Jane Gill. But the parrot's testimony wasn't allowed in court. (laughs) (laughs) And ultimately, they convicted Gary Rasp, her business partner and beneficiary of her life insurance, even though the parrot seems to think that Richard Mattoon was the guy that had killed her. (laughs) So you can't take that bird's word for it. Just two minutes ago, we said... I think uh, the defense has offered the bird a cracker. I wanted that in the record and is attempting to influence testimony. <laughs> so, I don't know. At what point... <laughs> at, at what point... Did, <laughs> sorry. sorry. At, at what point does the judge looking out... At, a federal judge, because this is a murder case. Yeah. Look out and realize, you know, I should have gone to medical school because this is this is insanity. You know, um, my mother wanted a doctor <laughs> and, and looking out and saying, like, I, the defense calls its next witness and they bring a parrot. You know, like, what, what is it? The guy holding the parrot? Is there a pirate on trial? What the hell is this? And it's the parrot. <laughs> like, of course, that's not going to they could teach the parrot to say anything. So we would like to call up as a character witness Coco, the signing gorilla. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or it's like, your honor. Obviously, Ms. Gill was killed, and for testimony, we're going to bring up these two traumatized hamsters. And I'm sure the guy that was accused is like, hey, 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 hey. You know, she said, Richard, no, 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 because we were having an affair. (laughs) I wasn't murdering her like the other guy was. We were going to call the rabbits up to the witness, but they're making up for lost time. (laughs) Look, that parrot could also quote Night Ranger. So I'm going to just put that out there. It's a questionable witness. All right. So moving on to the next day, on November the 4th, 1939, the Packard Motor Car Company produces its first factory-installed air-conditioned car. Uh, oh, that was yeah. the uh, 1939 Packard Hard Nipples. <laughs> you know, it was an extra. You could get the car with or without the air conditioner. It was like almost $300 as an option, which would be like $5,000 today, right? There was no on and off for this. You- <laughs> It was. It looked like took up like half the trunk of the car, and if you wanted the air conditioner on, you'd have to pop the trunk and then like attach like a um, fan belt or a compressor belt manually removed or attached. Right. And so it's either on or off kind of a thing. That only lasted a couple of years on that model until 1941, and then aftermarket air conditioners those had been available like all along. I have a funny story about air conditioning in cars or lack thereof. Oh, yeah. Do tell. So some years ago, I bought one of my many, many gray Honda Civics. (laughs) Oh, my God. It was like I bought it out in Warwick. I found it through like cars.com and it had super low mileage on it, like 8,000 miles. You know, buying it was pretty quick. The girl that sold me the car actually, she looked just like Lindsay Lohan. So done with that. It was I was in and out of there pretty quick. Car was bought, sold. And I'm, you know, I'm driving it home. And it was in April, but it was like a nice warm April day, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my God, the car that I just got rid of, the air conditioner didn't work that well. It's going to be nice to have a car with an air conditioner in it. So right. I'm over there trying to drive and looking for the air conditioner button. I can't find the air conditioner button anywhere. Oh, yeah. that sucks. You can, yeah, you can tell where this is going, right? I so, can tell, yes. Yeah. So I get home. And I'm looking through the, the book, and I'm referencing the book and referencing the car. I was like, yep, that's where the air conditioner button is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So I get Lindsay Lohan on the phone, and I was like, uh, hey, you sold me a car that doesn't have an air conditioner in it. If you would have said to me, oh, you know, BT Dubs, this car doesn't have an air conditioner in it, I would have said, oh, you better show me another car then. <laughs> so Lindsay Lohan says, oh, uh, so what model did you buy? And this is where my patience ran out. Uh-huh. The one without the air conditioner in it! <laughs> and then Lindsay has the uh, poor foresight to ask me, well, what would you like us to do? I'd like you to put an air conditioner in it or sell me another car. <laughs> so I go back up a couple of days later and... You know, they're trying to sell me all these other different cars, and, and now I'm, like, haggling way down. Every price yeah. they give me, I'm telling them $2,000 less, you know, at least. And they're like, that's a lot of money to be dropping. I'm like, yeah, well, you should have sold me a car with an air conditioner. <laughs> right. Jeez. Yeah. I ended yeah, up that's... buying an identical car, as luck would have it, with slightly more miles on it and it had an air conditioner. That's good. I mean, you got to be – yeah, you got definitely got to be watching what you're buying, I guess. 
and say, I like the, you know, talking about the salesperson that you dealt with. Yep. Like, I wonder how the Packard salesperson was in 1939. It's like, hey, uh, have you heard about our new, you know, factory installed air conditioner? Hey, you look like somebody who drives around with a lot of meat. Because <laughs> it's going to, you're going to be cold. You like that wool jacket even in the middle of August because you're going to need that. Unless uh, you like to take the belt off, put the belt on every time you want to drive the car around. You know, gets a little bit too warm, pull over, pull off the belt. <laughs> you're going to get about... 12 miles per gallon less and in a car that only gets 13 miles per gallon you know you're gonna be you're definitely gonna be feeling it in the pocketbook but uh, it's luxury but you're also gonna be feeling it in the nipples you may be sterile by the time you get home after driving this car <laughs> that thing must have been loud too yeah i, I would think yeah it probably was do you ever hear those stories about the people that would like buy big blocks of dry ice and keep it in their back seat, not knowing that that's carbon dioxide, and then yeah. they would just like asphyxiate and die? Yeah, well, the worst kind of air conditioner to have is that kind. Yeah. It's also it's also hard because it makes the inside of the car really yeah. foggy. Yeah. Like, oh, I turned the frosters on. It's not doing anything. <laughs> Oddly enough, there was no murder weapon. <laughs> and the back seat was dry. All right. Moving on to the fifth. <laughs> November 5th, 1975, a guy named Travis Walton claims to have been abducted uh, amongst a group of his logger friends, loggers is in people who take down trees, and held for five days aboard a UFO when he was deposited back on Earth in the middle of a field like four or five miles from where he was taken. His story ultimately won the National Enquirer Prize for I don't even know what the <laughs> contest was, but he won five grand. And it provided the basis for the movie Fire in the Sky, which probably provided him with more than five grand. What year was this? 1975. So it's, this oh, is... Oh, uh, this is before the Elvis Presley funeral pictures. Okay. Yes. All right. Again, this is before Close Encounters of the Third Kind comes out. Right. And before so, Star Wars, too, right? Before Star Wars, yeah. Before Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So it's not like... It's not like a super well-known phenomena at this time. It's not... This isn't the first time it's been described. Betty and Barney Hill described it. Right. But... In like the 1950s or late 1960s, but this is one that it seems like this guy is pretty much on the level. His friends all kind of corroborated the story of him disappearing the way that he disappeared. I think we've established the fact that he probably just had some hot dogs. I uh, I think that's probably what it was. Like, hey, I cut down on those. Oh no way, man! I'm gonna live forever. That's 13 hot dogs. You know, he had a hot dog and a peanut butter jelly sandwich and just whoop, disappeared for an hour and a half. The, the weird thing. Now, was, how long was he gone for? He was gone for five days, which is just long enough to have, like, a really good meth bender. Yeah, there's, a, there's my other theory, yeah. He might have taken some crystal meth and disappeared running naked in the woods. He gets home, and he's, he's got a new tattoo that's misspelled, and he's covered in stripper glitter. I can fly! And his wife says, <laughs> and his wife says where have you been, Travis? And he goes, I woke up in a field. <laughs> and she says, I bet you did. Stark raving naked in a field. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You smell like beer and urine, which is almost the same smell. <laughs> Stark raving naked, heavy emphasis on the raving part. Well, the thing is, like, if you tell the story and your significant other believes it, and it's at the point where they don't throw you out, like, you might as well get the five grand from National Enquirer, because you're doing a really good job. Yeah, that right? yeah, that sounds like a, a lie you told your wife that just got out of control. <laughs> right? And, oh my god, she bought it. Like, oh, f there's a contest about this. I got abducted by aliens. There was no way I was on a five-day meth hooker bender. Right. There may have been some anal probing, <laughs> but I was not the recipient. <laughs> he comes home. I was definitely not with hookers. Why is your anus bleeding? Funny story. <laughs> <laughs> well, the weird thing was, like, the, you know what the weirdest part of this story is, right? The weirdest is part? Like, the weirdest part of the story is, like, he has a parrot. <laughs> so... Moving on to November the 6th, 1928, your friend and mine, Colonel Jacob Schick, patents his first electric razor. It does Ugh. not work, much like every other electric razor to come after with. Hey, do you like to make shaving unpleasant? Well, then <laughs> I have a product for you. The electric razor is a device that just, it just shouldn't be a thing. Yeah, I've, I don't have a thick beard, and electric razors never really worked like well for me. Yeah. I could get away, really, with, uh, like, a beard trimmer. Mm -hmm. If I take all the extensions off, I could get away with that. But if you want, like, a, a good, clean shave, an electric razor is not your buddy. No. No, no. It leaves the peach fuzz, and it also yanks out every other hair at the roots. So it's <laughs> it both does a crappy job, and it's really painful to use. And it takes a lot longer. 
Yeah. Uh, I'm somebody, you know, I do my, I learned to shave from my dad. My dad used to use the cheapest, I don't know what he thought was he was saving, but he used to use the cheapest razors you could get. Oh, those freaking, like, one blade orange things from Bic? Yeah, he used the one blade orange things, but he used to give me any, all kinds of trouble if I got anything different than, like, the cheapo two blade ones, which was, like, 100% better than the one blade ones. Yep. The first blade bends the hair over. Right. And then the second blade decapitates you. I was at a hotel and I was doing like one of my cosplay things and I had a mustache for the character, but I didn't want to walk around at the after party with a mustache looking like a creeper. You know? <laughs> so you wanted to walk around with a bloody face? It's- yeah, I, yeah, I didn't have a lot of options, right? So I had to shave off a full mustache with a hotel shaving kit. Oh, that's always good. That took a while. <laughs> I bet it did. Going back to the electric razors, do you remember that female torture device they came out with like in the late 80s, the Epilady? Yes, and I remember how, how they were advertised to men. Get your spouse the gift of softness. <laughs> <laughs> it's not soft. It's not smooth. You know what it is? It rips the hair out of your leg. Yeah, it was like a, gonna... it was like a tight coiled spring that vibrated, just like yeah. grabbed the hairs and just ripped them out by the root. And, and it was like it's like for the European style, like European style. Did you ever see a French lady's armpits? They are not using an epilady. Oh, definitely not. They are not doing that. And like I, I love, I love the, I got nothing but love for hirsute women. You do, it's your body, do what you want. But man, like whoever invented those things must have hated you. <laughs> And I am sorry, because it's like Colonel Shicky hated us. Yep. So, in their mutual hatred of all humans of all genders, we should stand against them and just throw those things away. It's a misogynistic death device. All right, and let's wrap up the week on the 7th. Uh, November 7th, 2018, the world's oldest figurative painting of an animal that's at least, at least 40,000 years old is identified in a cave in Indonesia on the island of Borneo. So we're talking um, about cave paintings, right? We are talking about cave paintings, which I know is a, is a fascinating, uh, a fascinating interest of yours. Yes. And so the ones in Lesco, France, are about ten to fifteen thousand years old. Wow. And there have been some others in Spain and Russia and other places that are around twenty thousand years old. There's a couple in America, actually, too. And there are some in America that are twenty or twenty thousand, twenty-five thousand years old. That's what they've been carbon dated to. Yep. But to go another twenty thousand years back—that's a long time. Yeah, that's yeah, like uh, th- three or four times what the ones in France are. That's crazy. Uh, Borneo was still an island. It, it's not like this isn't like Pangaea where everything was jammed together. That's b- millions upon millions of years ago. Right. Borneo forty thousand years ago. Borneo is where Borneo is now. Right. So the. You have to you have to wonder like at what was civilization like in those smaller isolated communities at that time? How did they advance to the point where they had developed the skill for painting? What was the impetus? Did it spread out from there into the mainland and from the mainland into places like France and Germany and 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 ultimately North America? So there's a lot of like there's a lot of like weirdness in this because generally isolated communities like that aren't the ones that spread out. They're the ones that are spread to. Right. It's not like Ugg saw a cave painting in Spain and was like, I'd like to do that. Yes. You know, it's like that's a weird piece of like evolution or human instinct to paint and create. You know, like like I just did that mural downstairs, which I finished, by the way. And oh, nice. Yeah. You know, I was telling my uh, my friend, I was like, hey, you know, every day I walk down the stairs into my cellar and I just see that blank wall and I'm like, man, something should go there. And that's why I did the mural over there. So like I said, Ugg must have just said, I don't like this cave wall all blank. It needs buffalo or whatever he painted. Right, right. And I don't know what kind of animals lived on Borneo that would be worth painting. I, I don't think of Borneo as a big place, but I guess it's certainly very large, right? Mm-hmm. It, the weirdest part about this whole story, and this is my favorite part, is that one of the paintings that was carbon dated to about 35,000 years was a painting of like a teenager being attacked and eaten by dangerous animals. It was like the first version of the Scared Straight program. <laughs> Look, I show you. You be bad again. Saber-toothed tiger eat you. Me call it man's inhumidity to man. All right, moving on to the celebrity birthdays. Actress of television and film, and my favorite euphemism for masturbation, born November 1st, 1926, Betsy Palmer. Betsy Palmer. Yeah. So 
Um, I have no idea who who's Betsy Palmer. Oh, Bill. you know who she is. Betsy Palmer is the actress who played Pamela Voorhees in the very first Friday the 13th movie. Oh, the lady in the sweater gets her head cut. The very same, yes. Oh, yeah, okay. She was on Knott's Landing. She did a bunch of stuff, too. Was her specialty being decapitated? No. Special she... guest star, Betsy Palmer. No, Thunk. she always played, like, super nice characters, and she never thought... The only reason why this is such a funny story... She didn't want to do Friday the 13th. She thought the script was stupid. But the only reason why she signed up for it is because she needed money for a new car. Hey. Yep. You do what you got to so you can so you can do what you want to. Yep. And she, I got to get me that Packard with that built-in air conditioner yep. and there's no way to do it except for losing my head. And uh there's a she thought that nobody was going to buy her as the killer because she always plays such a nice character. I got to meet her a couple of years before she passed away, and you couldn't ask for a sweeter woman. Another funny story is there's this part in that scene, in the ending scene, where Pamela Voorhees slaps the girl in the face. And when they were rehearsing, Pamela just went whack and just like clapped the girl right in the jaw. And the actress is like crying and went running to the director, and they had to go tell her, Pamela, you don't really hit her we're making a movie here <laughs> she said the script says that she, i slap her yeah we add the sound effect in, in post <laughs> have you never seen a movie before <laughs> i thought you were an actress right uh november 2nd 1927 uh american comic artist steve ditko is born uh-huh. known probably best for being the artist who came to prominence doing the amazing spider-man in the late 1960s and early 1970s but Influenced comics with his dynamic, his dynamic style and sort of elongated body drawing throughout the 70s, 80s, and I think he might have even been drawing into the 1990s. I believe um, he was the guy that came up with the design for the Scorpion character, too, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I think so, and I'm, and I'm sure a bunch of the other, like Mysterio and some of the other, like, I don't, it's not Golden Age, right? Silver Age is 60s for comics? I can't remember how the ages work anymore. Right, I'm not sure. Um, yeah. It was, it was, 60s. It, it, the polymer age, yeah. right? The, the nickel-plated uh, aluminum age, uh, whatever it is. Diamondique, uh, car- carborundum. Fine pewter. Whatever those years are, like the early 19th, the, the middle and, and late 1960s period, yeah. where, you know, there was like Scorpion, Mysterio, Rhino. A lot of those were his creations from the get-go with, you know, input from Stan Lee on what they were going to do. Right. But he's the guy who did all the design work and drew them and, right. and, and brought them to life. Always been one of my favorites. Uh, coming up on November the 3rd, 1954, one of my all-time favorite musicians and guilty pleasure, uh, a man by the name of Stuart Goddard, better known colloquially as Adam Ant from Adam ah, yes. from Adam and the Ants. Yes. Uh, yes, and Adam Ant as the solo artist. Yes. No ants of his own. He was a solo <laughs> ant for a while. The very first musician that I was absolutely transfixed by on MTV as a kid was Adam and the Ants, yep. the first band. And Ant Music has been one of my favorite songs since I was a wee lad. Yeah, I, I really liked Adam and the Ants. I like the whole, uh, you know, the tribal beats, the the, the, yeah. the style the, the style of how they looked. I mean, I was coming out of being a Kiss fan, so the fact that he had, like, you know, kind of like stage makeup was also, like, an attraction. I, I, I just remember getting, like, trolled in, like, sixth or seventh grade. Where this kid Jim was like, hey, you know who I like? Adam and the Ants. I was like, oh, yeah, I freaking love Adam and the Ants. He's like, I was only kidding. And I was like, well, I'm not because I think they're cool. <laughs> I think I drew their little logo like seven million times oh, uh, head, as yeah. a kid. Oh, yeah, the ant head with the, with the tribal headpiece on and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely love them. And I like Adamant solo work up through Wonderful. Yeah. yeah uh, interesting. Yeah. Really, really good. One, Wonderful's a tough album. <laughs> And, and then he put out another album a couple of years ago that has a very long, hard-to-remember uh, title, something about marrying the gunner's daughter. All right, moving on to November the 4th. November the 4th, 1950, uh, American TV actress Marky Post. Oh. Best known for being on Night Court yep. and then on Fall Guy. Yeah. That was with uh, Six Million Dollar Man, right? Yeah. I don't remember yeah, that show yeah. very well, but uh, and, okay. Uh, Marky Post... Uh, we just lost her earlier this year. She died of uh, she passed away from cancer at the age of seventy. I I always liked liked Marky Post. She was great on Night Court, and she was like like the Michael J. Fox like workaholic type because 
she was doing Nightcore and Fall Guy at the same time. Oh, so back in, in the slang of the 1980s, she was moonlighting. But she was never on Moonlighting. No, she was not. <laughs> and the, oh, that's cool. And, and, uh, yeah, I, I remember reading her uh, her obit. Yeah, that was sad that she passed away. I'm and she was 70 years old. She was, just, you know, she would have been 71 today. And she looked great, you know, up until very recent pictures of her. She uh, she held it together. Good for her. And and I think I've established on more than one occasion that Night Court was my favorite sitcom of like of all time. Uh, moving on to a hundred years earlier. On November the 5th, 1850, a woman by the name of Ella Wheeler Wilcox. She was a poet, and uh, she is going to be, uh, like this is one of those so now you know kind of a things. She is the woman who, in her poem Solitude, said, Laugh and the world laughs with you, weep and you weep alone. That is her quote, and it's her birthday. Oh, nice. I like that the second stanza of that poem is, Eat hot dogs and shave 36 minutes of your life off per hot dog. All right, moving on to the sixth. Hey, speaking of people who could have hung around with Ella Wheeler Wilcox, 18 November 6th, 1861, a guy named James Naismith is born in Ontario, Canada. Now, you may not recognize the name James Naismith. And I don't. But if you were to wander around in beautiful Springfield, Massachusetts, and you were in the right part of the city, you would see... The Basketball Hall of Fame. I've seen there's that. A reason, there's a reason that the Basketball Hall of Fame is in Springfield, Mass. That is because a, whenever I go to travel to Six Flags Amusement Park, uh, Six Flags New England, I always go by the Basketball Hall of Fame, which has always struck me as being odd that it's in Springfield, Massachusetts. For those of you not in the know, Springfield is not exactly the heart and soul of the state. It is in a rough town. Yeah. Rough city. Uh, so James Naismith, it was a rough city back then too. Okay. Uh, so James Naismith is the man who invented basketball. He invented the rules of basketball. He did it at oh, wow. the Springfield High School. Yep, that's where it was invented. And the story goes, now again, I don't know if this is apocryphal or if this is accurate. He had started teaching the kids, the boys at this high school, how to play baseball, but they kept fighting with each other and hitting each other with bats. <laughs> that wasn't going to work. Then he tried to teach him how to play football, and they started tackling and beating on one another like it was a big gang fight. That also did not work. Tennis, see if you can guess. Right. So he thought, I need to find a game where the rules are you can't touch the other person. So he took two peach buckets or baskets and put them up on posts and said, okay, kids, the rule is you can't touch each other, but you have to try and put the ball in the peach basket. Aha. And ultimately, over the course of a few months, the modern rules of basketball, he developed them. And it, the game became really popular and spread out not just in Springfield amongst other schools, but from Springfield outwards until it is what it is today. Coincidentally enough, whenever he took a bathroom break, the game of dodgeball was invented. <laughs> and wrapping up the birthdays on November the 7th, 1957, Christopher Knight, who most people would know as middle Brady boy Peter Brady, he didn't have much of a personality, that kid. No. <laughs> but a hell of a singing voice. <laughs> I remember maybe about 10, 15 years ago, they did like some reality TV shows and he was on. And then like that supermodel girl that was like half his age, like got a wicked crush on him. And then they ended up getting married. I don't think they're married anymore. But it became this like almost like laughing stock. This Brady kid, and now he's you know got this young girlfriend. And he's on a bunch of reality TV shows, but behind the scenes, I, I was freaking out when I was reading up. Sorry, I was like really surprised whenever I was reading his biography over here. After the Brady Bunch ended, he pursued a career in the computer industry. Smart kid. Yep. He co-founded a 3D graphics company. He started this other thing called Kidwise Learningware. This is the part that got me. He started a TV tuner company, Escape Labs, you know, for computers, mm -hmm. which was later purchased by Hapage Computer Works. And back in my days of doing video editing, I had Hapage video TV tuners. That was invented by Peter Brady? What the hell? Yeah. It's not like he's not doing stuff now. He's, I think he put a book out not too long ago, and he also took up carpentry and furniture making and has a line of lawn furniture, wooden lawn furniture that is is branded with his name that sold i don't know i get emails from the company that sells it so i'm like christopher knight so it's funny to think like i don't know how many weeks ago we we talked about like danny bonaducci mm -hmm. where you know after the partridge family went off the air he just took up being a jerk right 
And he didn't he didn't do anything with computers. And if now, I mean, if you want to find something that's Danny Bonaducci branded, it's probably like a half full ashtray that's partly filled with vomit. <laughs> I mean, everybody's going to remember him from the Brady Bunch as the one that couldn't sing when his voice cracked. I mean, they're over there with their little band there, the Silver Platters, you know, trying to record like this gold record or whatever, but they ended up just making the worst song ever. All right, so what is in the canon this week? Uh, All right. The rocket to the moon that we can get rid of it and never hear it again. What is in the rocket to the moon this week for worst song ever? A lot of the stuff that we talk about on War Song Ever are songs that ultimately we sort of have a fondness for. Yeah. Like Legendary Stardust Cowboy, who's now super close to my heart, or The Shag. Just, I mean, just last week we brought up Let's Put the X in Sex by Kiss, which is a horrible song, but I don't care. I, I like Kiss, and I realize how silly they are, and it fits in perfect with their stuff. But that's not what we're talking about this week. Let me tell you, the, the thing about Let's Put the x in sex which is hard to say is that when that song comes across on the radio and it does Mm -hmm. now and then i don't change the channel in fact i'm like oh it's that crappy kiss song all right and then i go back to what i was doing or i hum along with it or i imagine them playing rock and roll all night instead (laughs) but i don't change the station this week's song I change the station when I hear it. And it's the song Hey Soul Sister by San Francisco band Train. Like so much that could be dropped into the worst song ever, this song has a couple of things going against its favor. One is it's very clearly adult contemporary, and adult contemporary is... There's some that I like, I guess. I like music from the 70s. Sometimes that's adult contemporary too. And there's some that is good. And there's some that just sucks, and this is the kind that just sucks. You know how I always um, I always describe adult contemporary, you know, artists. I'll say to you, you know who likes that? Your mom. Your mother. Yeah. Yes. You know who likes Train? Your mom's younger sister. Like, there's a huge age difference between the two of them, and she's kind of cool, but she's still your mom's younger sister. That's who likes Train. I would also posit that your mom's hairdresser loves train or likes train and uh, the first time i ever heard this song or heard of this band again i don't generally listen to adult contemporary right i was sitting in the waiting room at a hairdresser's what? and i could hear it over these like tinny ceiling speakers and i'm like what is this crummy song this song is so annoying and the ukulele is irritating and the v- vocals sound like there it's almost like at the mixing board they're like i'm going to just up the pitch a little bit i don't just think you can blame that on the speakers you know? at all <laughs> no and it turns out you really can't and that by the time the full orchestration and when i say full orchestration they add a bass drum and a guitar comes in it's like oh okay this is like something that you would hear at the end of a made for netflix original movie that was purchased from a studio in canada like that's what you'd hear over the end credits the second set of end credits, not even the one with the popular song on it. And it's lifeless and... Hold on, let's play a clip because there is something that really, really sticks out about this song. hearing things right he just said i'm so obsessed my heart is bound to be right out of my untrimmed chest (laughs) okay apparently nobody has veto power in this band because (laughs) worse than that is like the next two lines he rhymes madonna and wanna stop it he does i believe in you like a virgin you're madonna and i'm always gonna wanna oh my god you're right it's right there now the whole thing is like he keeps saying hey soul sister i mean that's the name of the song now i don't know what he's getting at here because one i think well maybe he's trying to say like soul mate but there's not a lot of stuff that rhymes with soul mate it just has like a a bad beat to it i guess because the next line after soul sister is ain't that mr mister because so many other things rhyme with sister i guess he could very easily have said Hey, soul mate, 
Remember that pizza we ate? <laughs> and it would still work. Wasn't it great? <laughs> Every time you play this song, James Brown's body disintegrates a little bit more. Yeah, that's another thing, too. It's like Soul Sister. This song has no soul to it. Well, put it this way. There's not a lot of Motown records out there that featured the ukulele. <laughs> that's, that's very true. And I can imagine like somebody like Tina Turner like in her prime. Like, just running up on the band. Just, like, grabbing the ukulele out of his... Yeah, taking the ukulele out of his hand and just beating him with it (laughs) mercilessly. Right in the street where they shot the video. No, no, Um, no, 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 and no. (laughs) That's it. Left a good job in the city to come beat your ass night and day. Uh, This song, it still gets played, like, in medium rotation on... Again, I'm I'm not a radio format lover. I do have a radio, 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 stereo, stereo, it... Say as we say from the song, radio stereo. Yeah. In my office where I spend the majority of my daytime. And I can only flip records so many times before I, I'm not getting anything done and I'm just listening to records. And my boss does not like that. So I set up a radio. I built an antenna and all that stuff. And to throw on some background music, I'll put on like a format station like The River, which is a, a that's a format where all of the songs from different tributaries and styles kind of come together. So you can hear anything. It's sort of wide spectrum. They show up on that. I'm sure that if you if you use a Pandora and you put in Train as your first pick, your computer just explodes. Yeah, your phone just melts, right? <laughs> and or it says comes back and it says no. Right? Yeah. Uh, Train started out in like the early '90s, and I remember they had that big hit right out of the box called "Drops of Jupiter," which I'm gonna guess is one of the few songs in its genre that has worked the words "fried chicken" into its chorus. Well, it's probably because they were trying to get a contract to sing a song for Kentucky Fried Chicken. Or uh, something rhymes with chicken. So they were together for a a little bit there. They broke up for about two years in 2006 through 2008. And then they got back together, or did they? Because the only person left in the band from the original lineup that did Drops of Jupiter and all that is the singer, Pat Monahan. Who has a solo album, which is confusing to me because what's the difference between a Pat Monahan solo album and a modern train? Because there's nobody from train left in train except for Pat Monahan. I think everybody in train was like, you know what? At this, this, we're not going to go anywhere after Drops Jupiter out. Also, incidentally, I have the lyrics to Drops of Jupiter up in front of me, and this song also sucks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what, what happened um, was the guys who train were like, F- your fried chicken. He, <laughs> he rhymes fried chicken with conversation. <laughs> that is not a thing. It's not now, good. Anyway. The biggest crime against humanity happens in the year 2016 when they release, or he releases, whatever, an album called Train Does Led Zeppelin 2, where <laughs> they cover the entire album of Led Zeppelin 2. Who? Yes. Who in the goddamn planet needs that album? I'm actually over two minds about that. Like, look, I love music. And if I had any musical talent at all, if I had the money and the means to do it, I'd love to pull a band together and re-record my favorite album just so I could own that at that experience. It would be better if an album that they loved and recorded that was more in tune with like their style of music and they decided to get together and re-record something like Pat Boone's Greatest Hits or Three Dog Night or something else that falls into the same kind of limp, unlistenable, flaccid, white boy, old, cheesecake, garbage. Yeah, like, like an overbrowned banana kind overbrowned of. Overbrowned yeah. banana, like, yeah, like sugar-free, gum-flavored. I don't know. Think of, think of something terrible. That's what this sounds like, you know? <laughs> and this makes the song uh, Afternoon Delight sound rugged. <laughs> I like that Afternoon Delight song, but it's a little too edgy for me, yeah. It's just so dangerous. Yeah. All right, so uh, our friend Pat Monahan's birthday is February the 28th, uh, but that's not what we're looking for. The question at the beginning of the show was, what are the most popular birthday of, of the year, and what is the least pop- most popular birthday of the year? All right, and I already guessed Tuesday, and that's not going to be good. So you guessed Monday. I, I'm going to no changing your answer. Sorry. I am going to say, based on the conversation that we just had, yeah. Right now, everyone's least favorite birthday is February 28th because no one wants to share a birthday <laughs> with Pat Monahan. I'm going to stand by that. Okay. 
And for the most favoritist birthday is going to be December 25th, because why not just stack all the presents together for the goddamn kid at the same time? Okay. Are you ready? The most popular birthday of the year, for whatever reason, September the 9th. I guess I got nothing going on that day. Yeah, I'm not busy. <laughs> I, I guess it's because, you know, everybody does their, uh, the rabbits aren't very busy uh, in January, apparently, because nine out of the 10 most popular birthdays are in September. Yeah, you're in the middle of winter. Yep. Hey, what do you want to do? Well, you know, there's no movies to go to because this is when Hollywood dumps all of its garbage into the cinemas, right? right? And yep. what do you want to watch on TV? Ah, it's all reruns, you know? Yep. I tell you what, I, I'll, I'll, why don't I put on some train <laughs> and you and I can get busy? Hey! hey. I, I, hey. Get the ukulele, honey! No, I'm not, I meant better. I meant Barry White. Come back! Get back I'm over gonna... here! <laughs> I made fried chicken! <laughs> and Connecticut or something. Whatever. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, the September 9th is the most popular birthday out of the year. The least popular birthday out of the year. Now, my guess, whenever I was looking up this question, I was like, oh, that's easy. It's going to be February the 29th, you know, leap year. Okay. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. You only got a 25% chance. No, the that doesn't even make the top 10. The least popular birthdays out of the year are all on or around holidays. The least popular birthday of the year is actually Christmas. Ha-ha! Least. You said most popular. I know. That's because I defy convention, Bill. I defy convention. Ha-ha! I'm 100% wrong! (laughs) That's right. It's opposite day. Therefore, I win. Ha-ha! Touche! And I was wondering why that would be a thing. Why is Christmas the least popular birthday? And it's because a lot of births are scheduled like if the the woman's running late they induce the pregnancy or like me i was cesarean born so they kind of like schedule your birthday anyway so yeah the least so they're not going to do it on christmas so the least popular birthdays in order starting at number one are christmas new year's christmas eve fourth of july day after new year's boxing day the three days surrounding thanksgiving and halloween I can tell you why New Year's New Year's Day and the day after New Year's Day are bad days for having a birthday. Why is that? Because your parents are going to be hungover and you're always going to get like scratch tickets as a gift. <laughs> that's what you're going to get. Scratch tickets and like cannellini. Cannellini beans because that's what they have at Store 24 when you're hungover on the day after New Year's. So. All right. So- I'm not saying this from experience or anything. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. All right. So that is going to wrap up the show for this week. We will see you back here in about seven days. Say goodnight, Jeff. Look, you can speed that up if you eat a bunch of hot dogs. <laughs> goodnight, Jeff. <laughs> Bye, guys. A special thanks to James Costa for our theme music. Find us or message us on Facebook or Instagram at Twibly or T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Subscribe if you haven't already and tell your friends because friends don't let friends listen to those other podcasts.